Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Putin. This is episode 298. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Prez. That is at underscore Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I didn't watch Boston versus Miami, but I saw enough this morning to know that I would have been frustrated had I watched it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was very very much an interesting game. Uh, but before we get into everything, I need to mention that Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs. From basketball, MLB, NHL, hockey, golf to UFC and boxing, the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options, and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get into the action today, so head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code Believe B L E A V to receive your fifty percent bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. <clears throat> I also have to mention that the Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strick.land on Instagram. We are posting all kinds of new content on there all the time now. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are, please hit like and then subscribe. That'd be a huge help to us as we try to get to a thousand subscribers. The Strickland also has a store with merchandise which you can purchase. You can check that out on our website. There are t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, even water bottles. We've got plenty of things that may tickle your fancy. Give us a look on there. The Strickland also has a Patreon which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, this podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to... The Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. That comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business, there are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like listening in on a product recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not. None of this would be possible without you. <clears throat> so without further ado, after all of that uh, capitalist jargon for you... Um, we have basketball to discuss, and uh, Prez, you have not been here for two weeks. You have, uh, you know, basically moved out to the West Coast, forgotten your roots, forgotten all your homies. Um, you changed out there, and uh, we need to talk about that. I'm Hollywood now. It's true. Just kidding, people. I didn't move out West. <laughs> <clears throat> but I was out West for like five seconds. Yeah, for a week, really. I mean, 
It was longer than five seconds. It was like a good few days. Uh, it was interesting being out there during Lakers Warriors. Um, there's a lot of Warriors fans in LA. Obviously, not as many Laker fans, but it was. Uh, I don't know in DC. Like, there's Wizards fans, but nobody cares about not. the Wizards in, in DC. Yeah, like people have Wizards' opinion. They just don't care to share them unless you ask. <laughs> so they're like, if you're being generous, like team number five, maybe six in the district. So, you know, getting in, and there's all these jerseys and all the Uber drivers got, I had the guy who Uber drew, who drove me to my family's place. We had like all the same takes. It was crazy. I didn't ask him if he listened to Pod Strickland, cause I'm pretty sure he did it. Cause he was like a 50 something year old, like super LA, like West African dude. And never know. I mean, I mean, I mean, you never know. We have a, we have a wide reach, but I don't know. Everybody was out there with the hot takes, and I was like, damn, this was like just so foreign to me um, being in D.C. where people don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah, can't say that about New York. Um, and we are here to talk about the New York Knicks, not the Golden State Warriors or the Los Angeles Lakers, <laughs> both of whom can suck my ass. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so the Knicks are not playing basketball anymore, and uh I don't know. What do you want to talk about, Prez? Uh, I don't know, man. It's uh, I, one thing I'm watching, you know, this year, it, it, it increases every year. Um, there's a lot of weird things and annoying things about the basketball internet and the podcast basketball world. But, you know, despite how much we bemoan the lack of, like, tactical coverage of basketball games and X's and O's stuff, that stuff has just proliferated for people who are interested in it. Obviously there's not enough for like a casual to just be inundated by it. But like, if I want to watch like film room threads on Twitter, on any team, like you can probably find it. You know, if you want to watch YouTube's that are 30 minutes long, breaking down plays from particular coaches or playoff adjustments, like it's all there. And, uh, I don't know. I, I just find myself paying attention to the coaching battles and the adjustments. And I've I've talked on the pod and we've talked and I've written about how insane the level of talent just per player is and just how teams are just maximizing the math on combining Mori ball with like counter Mori ball and like bigs when they're small ball. And like, so the league is just really fucking smart right now. And you see it with the coaching and, you know, it's not just limited to like the new guard either. Right. Like we, before they got eliminated, we talked a lot about what Mike Brown was doing with the Kings and all that shit. And I don't know. I, th- I just think you see in these playoffs, it's not just Spolstra and the heat, although he's the best coach doing the best example of it with one of the, highest IQ players and Jimmy, but like these, if you don't have adjustment chops, there's like two levels of, co- there's like three levels of coaching. One is like the non-basketball shit, like connecting, buy-in, all that shit. There's, there's the coaching that you do, like setting the table. Like what is our offense going to look like with the players that I have all that shit. That's like super high level. And then there's the tactical stuff in game. And, Coaches are so fucking good at all that shit right now. And whenever a coach isn't, it's so glaringly obvious. It gets worse, obviously, when a player doesn't try. Like, like I messaged you one clip of uh, Jason Tatum 
really not trying to get her on a BAM screen. BAM just pulling him down. And then Robert Williams being like, whatever, I'm just going to stay 10 feet and drop on Max Struess or whatever. So, like, when a play- when players don't execute, then, like, the coaching means fuck all. But, like, we saw it with the Heat in all their series. We see it with, like, what Darvin Ham's doing in L.A., Mike Malone. Like, I'm really interested by all these chess matches and just really fucking depressed about how the Knicks went out. I shouldn't say depressed. It's just annoying how the Knicks went out without really taking their best swing. Um, And I don't mean that with regards to shooting. I don't mean that with regards to health because we didn't shoot well and we weren't healthy. But despite that, we still could have given a much better punch and not get fucking gentlemen swept out the lobby like we did. Um, so that just seeing more series. Oh, hold on. I we guess, lost in six games. Impor- That's not a gentleman sweep. Yeah, I don't know. I'm tripping. I don't know why I called it. It just felt <laughs> like a gentleman sweep in my heart. Um, and you know, the more we, anyway, the more we just see like teams adjusting or, or taking advantage of that stuff or not, the more I just, it, it just kind of sucks. Like, I, I, it's not really impacting. Like, I expect this team to make a lot of tactical adjustments going into next season because they make pretty dramatic. If you look at the changes every year of this front office and uh, with Tibbs coaching, they make pretty pretty dramatic coaches in what they do strategy-wise. But it doesn't change the fact that our coach just isn't – he's just not good at this in-game stuff, even if he's good at other things like getting buy-in and shit like that. With the giant asterisk that he can't get buy-in from our fucking best player which is, you know, obviously not all Tibbs' fault, um, but it's certainly not something he's helping. So, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at. Like, it's almost like a numbness. Like, ah, it happened. I'm still cool. Like, great season, whatever. It sucks that we couldn't go further. Got a lot of flexibility coming up. So, like, 30,000-foot outlook, I'm cool. It's fine. It's great. Whatever. I still love our players. Explore the zillion options on the table, whatever. But just... Like, all these fucking guys are, like, genius tacticians now, man. Like, Darvin Ham and all these other... Will Hardy, like, guys in the playoffs, guys outside the playoffs. Like, fuck. It's just... It's one of the more entertaining things for me to watch the chess matches in the playoffs. Because there's no simulation of that in the regular season. There's no level of... You're not picking on an opponent's strengths and weaknesses anywhere near that in the regular season. And it... You know... As you know, I'm a baseball fan, and it kind of reminds me of, like, the, ch- the chess matches that you see across a game with pitchers and and hitters where, like, it doesn't matter if it's fucking random game 17 in November or whatever. Like, if you can't hit a breaking pitch, like, down and out, like, you're only seeing break. You're fucked. Like, you're only – they will abuse that weakness. But you don't really see that in basketball, right? Guys just kind of, like – they do what they're going to do, and it's not tailor-made as a matchup sport like baseball or tennis or something, but you really do get that in the playoffs, and it sucks that we were on the wrong end of that. Um, yeah, I, I I would say as I've, like, I mean, I've been watching the playoffs the entire time, and, you know, um, as we get further removed from losing our series and whatever, you like look back and think about it, analyze it, look at the numbers, whatever. Um, I just find it insane that there are people that think like 
Tibbs coached a good series, or not even that he or or he just didn't he couldn't do anything that he you know he didn't have any other options. He couldn't have done anything else. To me, it's just like I. What's frustrating to me is yeah, the Knicks can make all kinds of fucking moves. They can oh you know this year they were this offensive rebounding juggernaut. Maybe they want to reinvent themselves and they decide you know what let's just go all in on shooting, make a bunch of moves to get. A bunch of shooters around fucking Brunson and Jalen, or sorry, <laughs> Brunson, Jaylen, Brunson and Randall and RJ. Um, but like, you're just never going to see much. Like at the end of the day, if you always play with the true four and you always play with the true five, and the fives are never are not shooters, and they're always going to play pick and roll, like they're always going to be roll men, and and. If you just do, and you don't have much off-ball movement, because that's just what we, there's, you know, there's a trade-off to that. Like there, it's not having off-ball movement isn't a killer, um, but it does create some issues for you. Uh, but like, if these are just how you're going to play all the time, and there's not much deviation from it, and like, I don't know. Like to me, it's just it's very frustrating because I don't think we're ever going to actually experience or see the full potential is not necessarily the right word because it's possible that lineups that play Randall at the five and Hart at the four and all these wonderful things, maybe in the long run they wouldn't work. But you don't know that, so we never get to experience and see all of the potential outcomes um, or all the potential lineups and, and combinations that are possible with any, forget this current years or this past years I guess I should say at this point pour one out uh for this past year's team but like any version of this team under this this head coach and like there are people that can tell me that can be fine with that and and that's cool like to me that's just a drawback of his coaching and you won't find a single other coach in the NBA who never plays small you will not find a single other coach in the fucking even doc plays small yeah. They played small against us on Christmas Day. You can go back and watch it. They destroyed us. They played zone against yeah, us. What's, on... what's his face? Who was talking yeah, shit? Remember? Yeah. <laughs> they, they they went. They played zone against us on Christmas Day. This is Doc Rivers, like one of the least imaginative coaches who just got fired. Like there is no less imaginative coach than Tom Thibodeau. Offensively, that's what, and that's what people don't like. But it, it's people try to normalize him as like, oh, just slightly less creative than the average coach. And that's what I'm saying. Not only is that incorrect but that's incorrect by a lot because while he's stagnant like and you have glenn rivers pour one out for him uh <laughs> you know not the most creative coach both of those guys are on one end of the spectrum and tibbs is like his own outlier self and then on the other end obviously a spo but like spo mike brown steve kerr all the fucking new coaches darvin ham like these guys are killer even like I watched the Annoying Wizards. Like, they experimented a lot. Obviously, you don't want to experiment too much and with bad ideas, right? Like, we've seen famously, like, what's his face? Uh, Bjorkman or whatever. When he was in Vienna, he was just wiling with fucking... It's like when you're just trying out all the shit on 2K for no reason. And, uh, you know, the Wizards would try to, like, do stuff like that to stymie other teams or do, you know, just shortchange other teams' runs or throw a change up. And I understand... I'll say this. I think if somebody's like, well, like he wanted to set the foundation and learn what we were doing, like that's totally reasonable. Like I, I, I get that. And that definitely paid off in a lot of ways, but there's 
a drawback to that. Like you, there's a trade off. So you just, I just I mean, need it's people. Not, to, no, it's not even an excuse. It's three years in. What are we? What fucking foundation are we building here? Like it takes three years to establish a foundation for you. No, start- I mean like with the with the current roster with like Jalen Brunson or right. whatever. So, but this is this is what I want to say. Like, look, like if, if whatever, if if you have your reasons to think that like we, you know, he, we were starting over, quote unquote, even though not really, right? <laughs> this year. Um, with this current style, rebound ball, Brunson, Rundle, shot change, shot distribution change, blah, 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 whatever. Fine. If we're a month in and you haven't seen small ball, you haven't seen a zone possession, you haven't seen players switch things up once, players who are now no longer kids and now are vets, right? Year four for RJ, year three for the other guys, including some of whom are not young rookies. None of these players, except for RJ, were young rookies. Like, I need you to just hold yourself accountable a little bit and have some fucking, like, honesty in your evaluations because when Tibbs changed for the better in the second half, second two-thirds of the season, it was awesome. He did a lot of things different, but he didn't change this. This is still something that he is probably 30th out of 30 coaches in terms of his ability to experiment and experiments, not even like, you know, we're using the word experiment, but that's probably not even an appropriate word. That'd be like akin to me saying a pitcher is experimenting by throwing an off speed pitch. That's not an experiment. That's just something you need. And once in a blue moon, there's Mariano Rivera who doesn't, and we're not Mariano Rivera newsflash. So like next year, I fully expect the expansion of roles. I'm not going to lower my standards just because it's fucking Tibbs. I'm not going to lower my standards just because we could possibly come out winning a bunch of games because guess what? This roster is really fucking good and they're getting better and they're good at what they do, especially in the regular season. So, like, you know, I, I just know we're going to get to this point where this team is doing well next year regardless of what happens in the offseason and then it becomes like, oh, like, we're doing well. Why are you complaining? And it's like, bro, like, you know why I'm complaining. He's not preparing for the playoffs. And you can't you can't extol him for getting yeah. a team to perform so well and be all about what matters most and winning in playoffs and then fucking hide behind the covers when we're like, oh, why isn't he doing the things that every other playoff coach does? Hmm? Why? Well, why? Why is he doing that? You crucified Julius Randle for not doing what any other star player, all-star player does in the playoffs, keep the same energy for Tibbs. He's doing things that no other coach does. Call it out. Call a spade a spade. It's not that fucking serious. Like, we're just talking about sports, man. I just, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, at some point, like, yeah, you can sit there and tell me, yeah, look, we had a great season. I agree. We had a great season. I'm not pissed off about the season. Um, I am annoyed that they lost the series. And like, it's not that you lose the series. It's that you... Does anybody actually think we tried everything we could have possibly tried in the series? Really? Like, yeah? Like, your takeaway from this series is, yep, look, they he threw everything he could at it, and it just none of it was working. And it's bullshit. It's fucking absolute bullshit to think that. Because he didn't go... He literally... the He, he went small twice, okay? One was like, the Knicks were down 25 in the fourth quarter of Game 3. Like, give me a break. That... that counts for absolutely nothing um the other time is with two minutes literally it was with two minutes left in the fourth quarter of game seven and that's also the first time he put grimes in the game and it's like 
like uh, what what are you, what am I supposed to learn from that? So it's like if that worked in that time, which it kind of did actually, unsurprisingly, um, then then it's like, well, you know, it's a small sample. You can't really take anything from it. And if it doesn't work, the same people will be like, well, see, that's why Tibbs doesn't do it. And this is all like every bit of logic that ever goes for like people that will always like defend Tibbs and 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 not just defend him, but like protect him and and deify him against any and all criticism it's and always coddle him that's it's, the word yeah, you're looking it's, for it's it's always no it's <laughs> it's deification it's more than coddling it's beyond coddling coddling is like oh like i like i coddle emmanuel quickly that that's coddling <laughs> like deification is when like i don't know deification it might be deification yeah. no, you, you, when you can't like actually <laughs> just say like he did this thing poorly then you're wrong i'm sorry like like you can tell me well tibbs tibbs fuck this up but that's because he doesn't have this thing i could i could see that argument like if you want to say well you know that tibbs wants to play with a room protector so you're never going to go five out because because like he doesn't have that piece i accept that i accept that that's a fact but like my point is that's the thing that no other coach like there's literally not another coach in the nba that does this mike malone doesn't play a backup center they don't play a backup center he has thomas bryan his team and he has the corpse of deandre jordan the team I promise you, if Tibbs is their coach, he won against Anthony Davis yeah. and LeBron James he, of the gigantic Lakers. One hundred percent. If Tibbs was the coach of their team, he one hundred percent plays Thomas Bryant. He one hundred percent plays or plays DeAndre Jordan. One of those guys is getting backup center minutes. Doesn't matter. Like that's just how it is. And like, I'm sorry, that's just such a limiting factor in how you evaluate a roster. And and this is like people can pretend this didn't happen, but it fucking did happen. Okay, but last year, this is exactly what the fuck I'm talking about and why I did not want to make the Donovan Mitchell trade, because I was like, I fundamentally disagree with the limitations that Tibbs has put on this roster based on how he used it. I I reject them. I, I complete and utterly reject them. And I think it's a total mistake to sell on these guys low because because Tibbs were like, oh, well, maybe he didn't start IQ because IQ wasn't ready to be a fucking point guard. No, he didn't start IQ because he just didn't. Like, there's, you can, we can sit here and try and reason and figure out Tibbs' logic. The fact of the matter is, if you put a gun to his head and you're like, who's a better point guard, quickly or Alec, Alec Brooks, I promise you, you would say quickly. I promise you, you would. But if you, if you tell him start quickly, he was like, no, can't do it. And so for, you were the entire offseason, we had to listen, oh, well, you know, quickly, he's just a backup point guard, he's just a backup guard, he's a scoring guard off the bench, that's all he is, can't be anything more. And then this year, apparently, uh, he played, he started too many games to, to win six man of the year. So, I, I don't know, I, I can't keep track of, like, which is true and which is false. The point is, though, like, when you limit players and you put ceilings on them, and you never deviate from them, like, Obi Toppin is, the, forget quickly, because at least that guy gets extended minutes, and Tibbs has started him at various points and whatever. The guy who's gotten fucked over the most by Tibbs is Obi Toppin. It's 100% Obi Toppin. And you see this every single fucking time he has three straight games where he doesn't shoot well from three in his 12 minutes a game, in his six shots per game. And it's fucking bullshit. I'm sorry. Like, it's ridiculous. You you took a player with a certain skill set, and instead of like, this isn't like, oh, we want to add this to his game. No, you tried to make him into something. You basically tried to make him into Tobias Harris. That's what, that's what Tibbs did. Like, He's just like go stand, go space the floor, go stand in the corner and shoot bunch threes. And yeah, can Obi like should he you know fucking attack the rim on closeout sometimes? Yes, he definitely should. But when you're drilling into somebody's head, like 
We need you to space the floor. We want you to take these shots. This is a good shot. Take the shot. When you drill that into their head, it creates doubt and it makes you second guess stuff and you're not going to play the same way. And when you watched OB this year, I watched a husk of a player. That's what I watched. I saw an absolute husk of a player who has been worn down into this floor-stretching big man that he was never supposed to be. Like, shooting is supposed to be a piece of OB's game. It's a piece. It's not the whole fucking thing. It's not the, it's not the foundation. And you and when it's not a coincidence that when he starts and he gets more minutes, magically, yes, yeah, he does he shoot better from three? Sure. But guess what? He does a lot more than just shoot from three. Like, he does a lot more than that when he, when he gets to start, when Randall is out. And the fact that, like, people... And then the, this is what kills me with Obi. Oh, well, you know, if he shot better, he'd play more. We've seen many games where he shoots great, and that does not result in more minutes. We've seen games where Randall plays like an absolute turd, and Obi is playing much better. I'm not saying, saying Obi's playing great, but Obi's playing much better than him. And we have seen that doesn't mean anything. We saw in game one of this Miami series, Obi Toppin be the only guy who was willing to take wide open threes, went 4 of 11, which apparently was some huge issue to people, um, went 4 of 11 from three. And, yeah, that was so weird. And he, like, didn't, he didn't play the last 15 minutes of the game. He didn't even come back in in the fourth quarter. And he got asked after the game, did you think you were going to come back in? He said no. And like, there are people that are going to like, I'm sure there were people that saw that and were like, oh, you shouldn't say that. Like, what is he? He's not saying anything. He didn't throw anybody under the bus. He said, no, I don't think that. Is anybody surprised by that? No, like if I'm, you want this player who is has been given zero confidence by his head coach for three years, and it's I don't care. Like people can tell me whatever the fuck they want. It's obvious that Tibbs never wanted Obi Toppin, never wanted him. It's clear because he's made absolutely zero effort to do anything to incorporate actions and and sets and stuff that would in any way remotely accentuate his core skills. You can't, like, I might sit here and bitch about, like, how he uses Grimes or quickly or whatever. I would never say that about them, though. Like, he's de- he definitely tries to get those guys involved way more than, like, Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin gets nothing. He got nothing from this coach for three years. He got nothing from this. He got less than nothing from this coach this year. And he got dicked around in the playoffs this year to a ridiculous degree. I mean, that game, honestly, game six... He should have closed that game with Randall. What the hell was Randall doing out there? Did he do anything? Did he take a massive shit or something? Like, maybe. He might have taken a shit half court. He might as well have. Um, but, like, I mean, what, what was was there, like, any... No, it, it didn't... It has never mattered how Obi plays versus how Randall plays. And once you remove an incentive for a player to work his hardest and whatever... And to Obi's credit, I've never... It still feels like... He works his ass off when he's out there. He might not be great. I mean, it's not like oh, some perfect ride all the time. I'm not going to claim that. But when you take that away from a player, then what is he even playing for? And then not only that, you're asking him to be, you know, this guy was national player of the year, rim running, fucking do everything, offensive juggernaut. And obviously, you know, like we've talked about this before, every guy in the NBA was like an offensive juggernaut at some level. What was it? PJ Tucker was like, MVP leading scorer in Europe or something, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying like Obi Toppin can be what he was in college at the NBA level, but if you think this is all he's capable of, you're a fucking, you're you're enabling ridiculous coaching. And he's the one guy I actually think Tibbs has done a terrible job of developing because everybody else, and I we've talked about, it, like I give him credit for that. So on aggregate, I actually think Tibbs done a good job of developing our young players, whatever my issues with him are. 
But like when you're talking about coaching, when you're talking about creating options for yourself to deploy tactically, to present your team in different ways, to present challenges for other for opponents to have to deal with your team in different contexts. I mean, Obi's a guy that really could have been used in so many different ways to do that and just never has. And like, I mean, not like Boston played like shit yesterday, but one thing I thought was really funny, um, because this is something that Tibbs actually did in the regular season, uh, once Randall got hurt, he closed the Miami game small. And they killed them. Yeah. They they shredded yeah. them in that game. They shredded them down the fourth in the fourth quarter. He never did that in this entire series. He never did it. And it was weird man, he just stopped doing like shit. He, he the he entire playoffs. He stopped he was, doing the starting lineup. Like it was it, it was as soon as the playoffs started. Okay, Bunting, what's the word when like a when an addict gets back into their addiction? Relapse. Relapse. Yeah, that's what he did. He fucking relapsed. Well, it was like as soon like the the foul, the first game of the playoffs is that Cleveland game. Brunson gets into foul trouble. Quickly has to go in early. Doesn't play well. Flat out doesn't play well. He basically cut his nuts. He clipped his nuts from that point forward. That was like okay, you you didn't play well. I don't trust you now. So you're just gonna be off the ball, and you either shoot well or you don't. And like we know what off ball players do in Tibbs' offense. They wait for the ball, and they spread the floor, and that's it. They don't do anything. Um, that's just the reality of the situation. If you think I'm lying, go watch Quentin Grimes play basketball. Um, he, clipped, he managed to... This is impressive. He managed to clip Quentin Grimes, whose role is already clipped. It, like, it's, it was crazy. He, it he, was crazy. He used, Everybody was like, is he hurt? Is he not? Like Even when he was fine, he the only time he let Quentin rock was the was when Hart had like a zillion fouls. What was that game where Qu- Hart or Quentin Grimes played fifty eight minutes? Forty eight or yeah, forty eight yeah. minutes? Yeah, fifty eight would have like, been. Damn, you yeah. played that much? I mean, only we know only quickly can go fifty plus on this team apparently. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, so like you, you but like the, you, if you how, go, how if you, you I, it's, how it's, do you not trust your starting shooting guard who played thirty minutes a game in the regular season? Who is a good? Def- he's like the definition of a playoff player. He literally. Did a great job on Jimmy Butler, and for some reason, like I just I need to go through this because I've been thinking about this so long. So game <laughs> one, okay, this does this quickly thing, gets him like so he just changes his role, and I have an issue with that. But I will say this, and I I said this at the time, I've said this since, and I will continue to say it. Like in that, if the goal is purely just win that series, it's a defensible decision. I think it's a totally defensible decision because the only thing that was going to lose you that series were turnovers. And maybe you decided, you know what, quickly needs initiation reps to figure it out, but that comes at the risk of turnovers. I'm not risking that. So I'm cutting, I'm, I'm he's playing basically like off ball role. That's what he's going to do. That That's the decision he made. It worked to win that series, I think. And I'm not going to kill him for that in that sense. But the problem is when you stick with that, the risk is what happened is in the first game of the Miami series, it was basically we just took the Cleveland-like game plan and applied it to Miami, which is not a good idea. Um, and he, like, like people are like, oh, Quickly is not making shots. I'm like, Quickly is getting, like, five shots a game off the ball. Like, you took a guy who was literally on the ball a bunch in the regular season and told him to play something different. If you expect pure consistency from that, I don't know what to tell you. Um, in the first game of the Cleveland series, I'll never forget this, he takes out Julius with like five, like four or five minutes into the game and puts in Obi. And like, you know, I know Randall was his first game back after the injury. And, you know, I think he even talked about like he was tired. So he got him out early. 
in my head, I was like, this is a great, this is great. This is wonderful. Like he's staggering and he just threw a curveball at Cleveland that they're totally unprepared for. Now you're going to have Brunson or Randall on the floor for all 48 minutes. What a fucking great job this guy did. And lo and behold, later in the second half of that game, they played a stretch without either on the floor. But like, it's, it's like, so he does this, you know, then Grimes gets injured in game three. So he, he starts Hart, which again, I want to mention this. This is a deviation from the regular season. What ha- who was the sixth man on the team? It was Emmanuel Quickly. It was the guy who finished second in six man voting. That if you're if you that was even later on, by the way. That was once we had Hart. Yeah, that exactly. So quick quickly goes from being like, you're the guy when somebody else is out to no no, you you're just the bench guy now again, and Hart's gonna start. Okay, fine. It works. Not that the heart RJ pairing was good, it wasn't. I mean, you can look at the numbers. The numbers were terrible in that series, in the Miami series for the whole playoffs. They weren't great in the regular season. They were slightly positive. None of it's very good. But he rolls with that. It works. Okay, fine. Grimes is out. You know, there's you're gonna have to play some of those guys together a little bit. I get it. It happens. Right? Fast forward to the Miami series. He just starts hard in RJ. Starts hard starts hard in RJ for three straight games. Okay. And people will be like, oh well, Grimes is hurt, Grimes is hurt. That's fucking bullshit. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Brunson was hurt. He started and played every fucking minute of the game. Randall was hurt. As soon as he came back, 35, 40 minutes for Randall. Do not tell me about injuries. I don't want to fucking hear it. I don't want to hear it at all. If a guy is cleared and Tibbs, in, like if a guy is medically cleared and he's there to play, play him, and Tibbs has proven he will play guys, he didn't play Grimes because fuck it. He just wanted to roll with Josh Hart. And guess what? Okay, fine. Let's give him game one. Let's say game one, Quentin Grimes had some weird minutes restriction. So be it. Okay, I'll give him that mulligan. Game two, he starts hard in RJ again. But but to save the game, what does he do? He plays Quentin Grimes with Hart for the last 15 minutes of the game, whatever the fuck it was. We win the game. Okay? We save the game. Game never should have been that close with Jimmy Butler out, but it was. Anyway, we win it. Fine. All is well and good. Game three, starts Hart and RJ again. Destroyed. They're down 14 at halftime. Does he change it? Nope. Starts hard in RJ again. By the time any change is made, we're 19 points down with four minutes left in the, in the third quarter. This is what I mean. There's no, when he sets his sights on something, there's no change. Game four, Grimes plays a fuck ton of minutes again. Magically, uh, he was fine. Now, who knew? Then he plays 48 minutes in game five. And then in the biggest game of the year, the biggest game of the year, okay? What does he do? He goes back to Hart and RJ in that fourth quarter for 10 fucking minutes, a quarter the Knicks couldn't buy a fucking shot. They had no spacing. They had no, there was no space for Brunson to go. And every bit of fucking data is telling you, literally all of it, every fucking shred is telling you, play Grimes, play Grimes, play Grimes, play. He wouldn't do it until there was two minutes left and the Knicks were down six. That was an absolute travesty of a coaching performance against, Cle- or against Miami. Cleveland? I think he was fine. I think he was actually pretty good. Again, I disagree with the quickly stuff, but I think for the most part, he made good changes. He clearly had a great defensive and actually his defensive game plan. He deserves credit for in both series. They were good. They were good. Um, But like the offensive stuff with him, there is a serious limitation with a guy who just is this ridiculous. Like he, I'm sorry. Like the Grimes thing is, you know. The quickly stuff, at least I I can get. I'll I can wrap the Grimes thing will drive me nuts the entire offseason because it makes absolutely no sense. I want to read you a stat. These are not huge samples. Take it for what it's worth. 
I think it says everything, but whatever. These are, I'm just going to read off, okay, true shooting and usage for the Knicks mid-three with Grimes on versus Grimes off. All right? Jalen Brunson, with this is with Grimes on. Jalen Brunson, 68.8 true shooting, 29.8 usage. This is just in the Miami series, okay? 68.8 true shooting, 29.8 usage. R.J. Barrett, 58.7 true shooting, 28.9 usage. Julius Randle, 57.4 true shooting, 27 usage. This is with Grimes off. 55.1 true shooting, 27.8 usage. R.J. Barrett, 51 true shooting, 29.5 usage. Julius Randle, 44.4 true shooting, 28.2 usage. I don't know, man. I'm sorry. Like, those are the numbers. And yes, are they small samples? Okay, yeah, they're small samples. But why is it that small samples never count when they are critical of, of Tibbs? But if they, if a player struggles in a small sample, then it's, oh, see, that's why Tibbs doesn't keep faith in him. That's why. That's what it is. But that only applies to, like, the players he benches, right? But if he, if he plays Julius Randle 70,000 minutes while he's playing, like, fucking dog shit, that's okay because reasons. It's bullshit. I'm sorry. The Tibbs thing... I, I, this is the last pod I want to do this on, but I, I needed to do it. Um, I, I, I'm over him. Um, I think he took us as far as he can. I think he coached a really good regular season. But what he does is not conducive to playoff success. I think a good coach wins this series. I don't think... Like, I don't care that the Bucks lost to them. I don't give a fuck if the Celtics lose to them. We should have won that series. We had the best player in the series. Brunson played like the best player in that series, not Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is a better player than Jalen Brunson, but for those six games, over the course of those six games, Jalen Brunson was the best player. You had the best player in the series. Fact. Okay? You had R.J. Barrett, who was playing really fucking solid ball. And people would be like, oh, the bench, the bench, the bench. He fucked the bench over. He took the fucking Energizer battery from the bench, Josh Hart, and shoved him into the starting lineup, and he managed to nuke both his starting lineup and his bench. And you want to call that good coaching? Fuck you. That's all I got to say about that. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.